Good morning. I'd like you to join me in your Bibles in Exodus chapter 20. Today we have more work-saving devices than ever before. When I was a kid, we had a party line. I don't know if you guys even know what that is, but you would pick up the phone at home and your neighbor might be on it. You didn't even have a direct line to your house. You shared the phone with the neighborhood. We took our 12-year-old son, Brandon, into an antique store last year, and he saw a rotary phone sitting on a table and said, what is that? Now we have phones that will answer for us and take messages. It's like we have a personal secretary. I'm still amazed by computers that can search virtual libraries and volumes of information in an instant. I was in the office this week making a copy. My idea of a copy is one page, one side, that's it. I had to wait to use the copy machine, and the copy machine was copying, collating, and stapling all at the same time. Yeah. This week, I sent notes back and forth to Dale Hamilton. He lives in Tanzania, Africa, by email. And all these work-saving devices are now mobile, so we can work while we move. And we've got satellite navigation to make sure we take the shortest path to our route so we don't lose any time. And when we get home, we've got work-saving devices. You've got a clothes washer, a clothes dryer, a dishwasher, an electric razor. You may have an electric toothbrush. Never understood that. A power screwdriver, because we don't want to have to do this. I saw some new technology. They now have a wireless scanner for your kitchen. And when the cereal box is almost empty, you just... Scan the barcode, it creates a grocery list, you hit send, and your complete grocery list will be delivered to your door. You can buy an iRobot that will mop, sweep, and vacuum your house. They now have interactive countertops with cameras and intel built in, so if you were to lay a steak and red pepper on the counter, it would discern what's there and immediately bring up a recipe that would work for you. Even with video showing you the techniques of how to prepare it and cook it. But most people today don't have time to cook. So we have microwaves and microwavable meals. They now have a smart microwave. You just scan the barcode and stick it in and it sets itself. Because we don't have time to read the directions. I was in Sam's the other day and noticed they have frozen peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. (laughs) Who is so busy (laughs) that they can't make a PBJ? We've got all these work-saving devices And yet people are working harder, working longer, they have more stress, they have more burnout. You ever get tired just thinking about what you have to do? 
You ever find yourself as fatigued on Monday morning as you were on Friday afternoon? You ever feel guilty when you relax? Maybe you feel like the man who swallowed a raw egg whole. He was afraid if he moved, it would break, and if he sat still, it would hatch. Well, if that describes you, God has given us a recipe for dealing with restlessness. It's in the fourth commandment. We read about it in verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now that word Sabbath means literally to cease and desist. And in the Hebrew, it has two B's in it because it's trying to make an emphasis stop completely. And so the word Sabbath to us today means rest. God has set aside a day of rest. Now, I find that this fourth commandment is often confused and misunderstood. So I want to help clarify it this morning by looking at this from three angles. One is the creation rest, two is the covenant rest, and three is the Calvary rest. First of all, the creation rest. In verse 11, he tells us that God set the precedent in creation. God created the heavens and the earth in six days, and then on that seventh day, he rested. Now, why did God rest? Was he tired? No. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 40, 28, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. So why did God rest? Well, let me suggest three reasons. One, he rested to reflect on what he had created. I'm no musician, but why do you have a rest in music? Is it because the musicians are tired? No. They rest for emphasis and rest for reflection. God created the heavens and the earth, and he rested to reflect on what he had made. And what did he say? It is very good. And then he also rested because he was finished. He had accomplished the job in six days, and so he rested. And then thirdly, I would say he rested to establish a pattern for man. We are to have a day of rest. Every seven days, you're to take a day off. Why? Let me give you three reasons. Number one is to rest your body. To rest your body. The logic of the workaholic is if I work all the time, I'll get more done. And God says we need a day to rest every week. In the French Revolution, they redid the calendar and decided to have 10-day weeks. In World War II, Great Britain decided rather than to have 40-hour weeks, they would have 74-hour weeks and just get rid of the day of rest. 
they changed both of those plans because of the health of the people. In a recent survey of Americans in Inc. Magazine, they found that 62% said, I have burned out or I'm on my way to burning out. If you are burning the candle on both ends, you're not as bright as you think you are. We need a day of rest for our bodies. And if you are reluctant to rest, it tells me two things about you. If you are reluctant to rest, it tells me you are immature and insecure. You are immature. Who in your household doesn't want to rest? Little kids. Do your kids voluntarily go to bed on time? No. But you make them. Why? Because you know if they don't get their rest, they're going to be worthless the next day. Maybe that's why Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Has God ever had to make you lie down? Because you wouldn't lie down yourself? Workaholics who never take a day off eventually take two weeks off in the hospital. Immaturity. Secondly, a reluctance to rest is a sign of insecurity. You say, I can't take a day off. I've got too much to do. I would say God had a lot to do. And he took a day off. So who are you? See, if you take a day off, the earth will keep spinning. Life will go on. You say, well, if I take a day off, I'll get behind and I'll never catch up. Let me share a verse with you. Psalm 127.2. It is vain for you to rise up early and to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors. Listen to this. For he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. There's a verse for you. Where do you get everything you have? God provides it for you. And this verse says he provides it for you even when you sleep. When you rest, God is still providing for you. In Mark 6, 31, Jesus said to his disciples, come away by yourselves to a lonely place and rest for a while. Even Jesus with his disciples said, we've got to get away and rest and relax. Someone has said, if you don't come apart, you will come apart. Our bodies were not built for nonstop work. So now you have a biblical basis for Sunday afternoon naps. Let's close in prayer. You need a day off to rest your body. Second, you need a day off to rest your soul. You don't only get physically tired, you get emotionally tired. And that's far more exhausting. You could take the whole weekend and sleep and you'd still go back to work on Monday emotionally drained. You know why? Because sleep is not enough. 
Sleep will take care of your physical fatigue, but it won't take care of your emotional fatigue. So how do you rest and recharge your emotions? Three suggestions. Number one, include time for quietness. Psalm 23 says, He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Quietness and soul restoration go together. Now, we live in a world of noise pollution. It is hard to find a place where you can really be quiet. And yet the Bible says in Isaiah 30, 15, in quietness and trust is your strength. Psalm 46, 10 says, be still and know that I am God. You need to schedule in time to be quiet with God. Some people recreate all weekend and they're never quiet and they wonder why they're stressed out on Monday morning. Include quietness. Secondly, include time for family. You need a day off to spend it with your family. Years ago, we decided to get rid of Sunday evening services. One of our primary reasons was we want to give families time to be together. Are you using it for that? One of my favorite verses is Ecclesiastes 9.9. It says, enjoy life with the woman whom you love. Enjoy life with the woman that you love. Some people are not enjoying life because they're working so hard to get something for the future that they're not enjoying life today with their family. Men, go home today and talk to your wife and play with your kids. That's simple. Or play with your wife and talk to your kids. Include time for quietness. Include time for family. Include time for fellowship. Throughout the New Testament, we're told that we're to be encouraging one another. You can't encourage one another unless you're together. I think that's one of the reasons why David said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Have you ever said, I'm tired I've got a lot to do. I don't have time to go to church, but you came anyway, and you were glad you did. Not just because you heard a sermon, but because you ran into other Christians and they encouraged you. They gave you a hug. They patted you on the back. They said some words that encouraged and refreshed and lifted you up. That happened to me this morning. I said to my wife, Lisa, I don't want to go to church. And she said, you have to. You're the pastor. So I came, and I'm glad I did. We have a small group that meets in our home on Monday nights, and some of them are here, so I shouldn't say this, but, but there are some Monday nights when we just look at each other and go, let's just lock the door, turn the lights out, hide behind the couch. Maybe they'll go away. 
But we open the door, we put the lights on, they come in, and when they're gone, we always say, man, that was great. I'm refreshed because I spent time with the people of God. Fellowship. You need a day off to rest your body, day off to rest your soul. Thirdly, you need a day off to rest your spirit. The early church settled into meeting together once a week on Sunday for teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. They understood that they needed a time for worship. They needed a time for spiritual refreshment. America has taken Sunday and made it Sunday. Most people don't worship God on Sunday. They worship the sun, S-U-N. They go to the beach. They have ceremonial baptisms. They anoint their body with oil. They lay prostrate before the sun God, and that's their worship. We not only need physical rest and emotional rest, we also need spiritual rest. That's why the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews 10.25, you're not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the habit of some is, but you're to encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Say, I wanted to come to church, but I had unexpected company in town. I, I wanted to come, but I was so tired I slept in. I wanted to come, but things were so hectic we just went to the lake. I wanted to come, but I'm so behind on yard work. funny the excuses we'll give to God on Sunday that we would never use on our boss on Monday. We need to be gathering together. It's essential. You're not to forsake it. And it's not just about God. We come to worship God, but it's also about us. We need to come together to be fed and refreshed and encouraged in our walk with the Lord. We come together for church. I hope for you it's a time for taking personal inventory of your life. Jesus asked a great question in Mark 8. He said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? When we come together on Sunday, you ought to be looking over the last six days and saying, what did I invest in? This world that's passing away? Or did I invest in my soul? How about the next six days? What am I going to do with them? Am I going to invest in this world? Or am I going to invest my life in Jesus Christ? We need that weekly inventory along with the time to worship God. And by the way, if our gathering together is going to be a time of rest, you can't rush in here out of breath from a rushed and chaotic morning of getting ready. Now, some of you come flying in here like, oh, okay, rest. I think we need to take our cue from the Jewish Sabbath. It started on the evening before. It started at 6 p.m. on Friday and went into Saturday. And so they really prepared themselves the night before for their worship. 
when I was a little kid, all I remember about Saturday night was two things. Polishing my shoes and gun smoke. That's it. And I couldn't watch gun smoke until I polished my shoes. And if I polished my shoes and showed them to my mom and they weren't adequate, I would have to go polish them again. We would polish our shoes and set them out and have them ready to go for Sunday. What were we doing? We were preparing ahead of time for that. And husbands, you can help make Sunday morning more relaxing for your wife by helping with the kids, helping get them ready. I heard of one wife who said to her husband, if you come in here and help get the kids ready, I'll go out and sit in the car and honk the horn. There's the creation rest. God set the pattern for one day a week to rest physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Then I want you to see this from another angle, and that's the covenant rest. Please understand this. Creation rest pertained to God. Covenant rest pertained to Israel. Creation rest was a model for man in general. Covenant rest was a mandate for the children of Israel. God spoke to Israel in Exodus 31, 13, and he said, You shall surely observe my Sabbath, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations. Therefore, you are to observe the Sabbath, for it is holy to you. So the sons of Israel shall observe the Sabbath to celebrate the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. Did you get that? The Israelites were to set aside the seventh day of every week as a sign of their covenant relationship with God. So this law is not a moral law. It is a ceremonial law. It was like circumcision. It was a sign between God and Israel. In fact, the interesting thing is, if you look in the New Testament, you will find every one of these commandments is repeated in the New Testament with the exception of one, and that is the fourth commandment. We are not required to keep the Sabbath day. You say, well, Dan, I've always been taught that as Christians we're supposed to keep the Sabbath day. No. See, your relationship with God is not based on the old covenant. Your relationship with God is based on the new covenant. Your relationship with God is not based on the law. Your relationship with God is based on grace. Christians are not required to keep the Sabbath day. And the requirements of the Sabbath day have not been transferred over to Sunday. There are people today who tell you they keep the Sabbath day. Some of you sitting here may say, well, I keep the Sabbath day. If you think you keep the Sabbath day, you need to think again. Exodus 31.15 says, For six days work may be done, but on the seventh day there is a Sabbath of complete rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall surely be put to death. To break the Sabbath under the Old Covenant was a capital offense. You were to be stoned to death. You say, well, what required, or what, what, what was work under the Sabbath day? Let me give you an example. Exodus 35.3, 3, 
says, you shall not kindle a fire in any of your dwellings on the Sabbath day. Couldn't start a fire on the Sabbath day. If you started your engine this morning to come to church, guess what? You started a fire in every cylinder. Just broke the Sabbath day. If you turned a light switch on in your house, you started a fire on the Sabbath day. If it was a little chilly this morning, you turned the thermostat up, started a fire in the furnace, you broke the Sabbath day. That's a capital offense. If you've been to Israel, you know that they have Sabbath elevators in the hotels. So on the Sabbath day, you can take the Gentile elevator and just get in and push your floor, or you can take the Sabbath elevator if you're an Orthodox Jew, and you get on and it stops at every floor so that a Jew doesn't have to reach up and push the button. In fact, in Israel, for Israel, there were actually several Sabbaths. There's the Sabbath day, every seventh day, they were not to work. There's the Sabbath month, every seventh month, they observed the Day of Atonement. There was the Sabbath year, every seventh year, they were to let the land rest, and they were to sow no crops. And then there was every seven weeks of years, or seven times seven years, they celebrated the year of Jubilee, and on that year they would let go of all of their slaves and release all of their, their uh, debt that anyone owed them. So if you're trying to keep the Sabbath day, you have to keep all of these Sabbaths. And if you're trying to keep all of these Sabbaths, I'd like to talk to you about a loan. The Sabbath day was a sign between God and Israel. It's not a command for Christians today. In fact, let me just substantiate that. In Galatians chapter 4, Paul says this in verse 10. You observe days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that perhaps I have labored over you in vain. When professing believers observe days like the Sabbath, Paul says, I fear for you. Why? He tells us, listen, because you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental things. What are the weak and worthless elemental things? They are the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament. Paul says, when you say you're a believer and you're going back and embracing this sign of the old covenant, I fear for you because you are going back to the weak and worthless things when you should be embracing the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 14 and verse 5. He says, one man regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. One guy thinks they're special days. One guy thinks every day is the same. Here's what he says. Let each man be fully convinced in his own mind. In that day in the church, there were about an equal number of people who came from a Jewish background and a Gentile background. When someone was saved as a Jew, he often thought, well, I've got to keep the Sabbath day because that was the way I was raised. When someone was saved as a Gentile, he would say, well, every day is the same. What does Paul say? Does he say, well, read the fourth commandment. You've all got to keep it. No. He says, it's up to your conscience. 
Why did he say that? Because when a Jew became a believer in Jesus Christ, he had to unpack all that baggage, all that tradition. And that took time, and Paul knew it took time. So he said, you've got to wait for that guy to come to full understanding of grace so that he can let go of all of that legalism. Which brings us to the third angle, my favorite, the Calvary rest. Why don't we as Christians observe the Sabbath day today? Because of Calvary rest. Great illustration of this in John chapter 5. Jesus saw a man lying by the pool of Bethesda. He had been sick for 38 years, and because of whatever sickness he had, he couldn't walk. Remember this guy? He laid by the pool, and every once in a while the pool would get stirred, and he'd try to get in the water, and he had no one to help him, so he was frustrated. He's laying there by the pool. He hasn't walked in 38 years. Jesus walks through the sick people by the pool, walks up to this man, heals him, and says, now stand up, pick up your bed, and walk. So he gets up after 38 years, picks up his bed, and begins to walk away, and guess what happened? The lifeguards got in front of him. And the Jews said, hold on, buddy. You haven't walked in 38 years. Maybe you've forgotten the rules. It's the Sabbath day, and you're not allowed to carry your bed on the Sabbath day. Wow. You know what he said? I love this. He didn't even know who Jesus was. He just said, that guy healed me, and he told me to do it, so I think I'm going to obey him. He later found out who Jesus was told the Jews it was Jesus, and they persecuted Jesus. And here's what he said, John chapter 5. Jesus said, My Father is working until now, and I myself am working. So what does that mean? They're arguing about the Sabbath day, what you can do on the Sabbath day, and Jesus said, My Father is working, and I am working. Now that's interesting. God created the heavens and the earth in six days, and then he rested. What is it that disturbed his rest? What is it that got God working again? Your sin and my sin. And Jesus says God is working, and he has sent his son into this world to work. He said in John 4, 34, I must finish the work of him who sent me. What is Jesus' work? Well, his work is to pay for your sin, to forgive you. But his, his work is also interesting because his work is creative just like the original work was created. God's first work was to create. Jesus came also to create, only it's a new creation. Listen to the words used in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 5.17 If anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. Galatians 6.15, for neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. The work Jesus came to do was a new creation. God completed the first creation and then he rested. Jesus completed the new creation and guess what he did? He rested. 
Jesus said in John 9, 4, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Got to get the job done. Where did he get the job done? On the cross. And what did Jesus say on the cross? It is finished. I've accomplished the work. And then the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 10 and verse 12, Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. He came to work. He finished his work on the cross. And now he is sitting down at the right hand of God. If you read in the Old Testament about the temple, the temple is full of furniture, but you know what kind of furniture it doesn't have? It doesn't have any chairs. Because the priest's work was never done. He offered sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice, and he never got finished because the sacrifice, the blood of animals, never takes away the sin of the world. Jesus came once as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He died on the cross, and he is finished with that work, and he is now sitting down because he's accomplished the work that he came to do. Colossians chapter 2 kind of sums this up. It tells us that when Jesus died on the cross, your debt of sin was nailed to his cross. God took all the offenses you ever committed and ever will commit, and he nailed them to the cross of Jesus Christ so that he paid for them. And you know what it says right after that? Verse 16, it says, Therefore, let no one act as your judge in regard to a Sabbath day. Your your sins have been nailed to the cross of Jesus and paid for, so don't let anybody act as your judge relative to a Sabbath day. Don't let anybody say, you started a fire on the Sabbath, I'm going to stone you. Don't let anybody say to you, you took more than a Sabbath day journey, you broke the law. Don't let anybody say to you, you can't carry your bed, it's the Sabbath day. Why not? Listen to the next verse, verse 17. The Sabbath is a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. The Sabbath day was a shadow. Now, what's a shadow? A shadow is an image without substance. But wherever you see a shadow, you know there is substance that's producing that shadow. We used to have a cat. He was about a 20-pound cat. I would have put him up against any dog. But he wasn't the sharpest knife in the drawer. So we, I used to sit out in the backyard sometimes and watch him. And he was always stalking something, and he would oftentimes stalk the shadow of birds that were up in the sky. He was chasing the shadow. The reality was somewhere else. And I would suggest to you that people that are trying to keep the Sabbath day are chasing shadows. Because the reality is in Jesus Christ. And I think that's why the Old Testament Sabbath is so strict. Because it's a shadow of Christ. You see, you could do no work on the Sabbath day, and if you did work on the Sabbath day, you were going to die. How does that picture Calvary rest? 
How much work do you do for your redemption? None. And if you try to work for your redemption, if you try to work your way to heaven, what happens? You get eternal death. The Sabbath is a shadow that vaguely presents the idea of rest. Jesus is the reality who gives true eternal rest. And that's why Jesus said, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. You will not find true rest in the Sabbath day. You will only find true rest in Jesus Christ. He came. He made a new creation. He is now seated at the right hand of the Father. It is done. It is finished. And I want to tell you this morning, you can come with no labor, no work, no effort, and rest in Him. As we close this service, if you have never come in childlike faith to Jesus Christ and rested in Him, then I invite you, I beg you, I challenge you to come into His rest today.